I would like to welcome you to the session on uh, glass packaging and uh, the impacts. Um, we have a steam panel here and I'm really excited to be here with all of you guys and share the table with you. Uh, you not only show that you have a passion for wine, but also for the uh, climate and its impacts for people in the globe. So thank you for being a part of this. I'm really excited to be at the table. Uh, we will start with some introductions, if everyone's okay with that. And I'm going to hand it over to Amina to do a short introduction, and uh, we'll start there. Hey, Trina. Good morning, everyone, and good afternoon. Um, uh, I'm Amina Merles. I work at the SPT Wine Group here in Chile. Um, we're one of the biggest exporters um, of wine in, in Chile. Um, uh, currently, I work in innovation, and I've also been in charge of the co-design and circular economy um, strategy of the company, um, working with a multidisciplinary group in the last uh, few years. And thank you for having me. Thanks, Amina. Barry? Hi, I'm Barry Zick. Um, I'm um, Global Bulk Sourcing Manager with Toes um, with... Um, responsibility around sustainability, under which doing more bulk shipment is, is a key part, but looking at other projects um, like this one around glass bottles and weight. Great. And uh, Sari? Uh, I'm Kerry Clark. I'm from Cantina Gotcha. Um, and um, we were the first winery in the world to launch um, our product in the um, paper bottle. Um, and um, we've been working with that for now two and a half years. And, um, you know, we are, as a winery, um, we grow our own wine, we bottle and we sell. And we were very interested to explore alternative forms of packaging um, other than glass. Um, that's not to say that we don't use glass because we do use glass, um, but we wanted to make some of our packaging more sustainable as well. Um, and, you know, we, we're working hard to, to look at alternatives, not only in packaging, but every aspect of our production cycle. Great. Thank you. Uh, Nick? Good day, everyone. I'm Nick Kirk from British Glass, and British Glass is a trade federation that represents the UK glass industry from the whole supply chain, from glass manufacturers to the packet fillers to the brands. I'm the technical director there. And over the many years I've been involved in glass, which is it's on for over 30 years now, I've been involved in a number of projects looking at um, what's typically called light weighting, but I like to call it right weighting of um, the container to make sure it's right weight, it's fit for purpose. Things like bulk importation at Dick's, sorry, at Barry's just touched on. And... Um, other things like bottle design and sort of general things around glass manufacture and down to sustainability, looking at recycled content, looking at reuse, etc. Great, thank you. And last but not least, Simon. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Simon. I'm head of wine sustainability at the Wine Society. That's a UK online wine retailer. Um, we are a mutual organisation, so we have members rather than customers. Um, and my specific job role is centered around implementing the wine-related aspects of our sustainability plan, which includes uh, packaging to a large part. So working with our producers to establish the best formats for packaging, looking for opportunities to trial and introduce alternate packaging formats, uh, and getting feedback from our members about what they are looking for um, and the criteria that they are looking for in helping them decide 
uh, when they're making their purchases. Great, thank you. Uh, so from bind to table, we know that there is a lot of, uh, all along the way, there is a source of carbon emissions, but in particular, the bottle seems to lend about 40% to that uh, to that value chain. And so when looking at that, uh, I thought we'd kick off our discussion and talk about what are some of the challenges with the wine bottle? Is there anyone who would, let's, is it Carrie? Did you cite your hand to say? Uh, well, I mean, we're a wine producer, and um, as I said to you, we look at um, uh, we were looking at our entire production cycle in our industry, and one of the biggest issues and the biggest contributors to our our carbon footprint in our production cycle that's from the point of actually planting, picking, and and converting into into in the grapes into wine, and then shipping it all around the world. The biggest um, contributor to our carbon footprint was packaging and transportation. So we could do fantastic work in the vineyard. We could do fantastic work in the cantina doing, you know, wonderful things. But then the biggest part, biggest contributor to carbon footprint was packaging and, and transportation. So that's what drove us as a winery to, to look at alternative formats. And which is why we started to work with the, the paper bottle. I mean, we obviously work with bag and box as well. And there are many different alternative formats um, for wine these days other than, other than glass. Um, and we, we looked at our consumers and we looked at wine that was drunk within a year of bottling. And largely speaking, it represents about 80% of the wine production, which sort of fitted quite nicely with our own philosophy, which was we were going to continue to use glass um, bottles for 20% of our production. And that was for wine that we were going to age because glass is a fantastic uh, inert um, uh, a container for, for wine, for aging wine. However, we felt for the other 80% where wine was going to be drunk within a year, alternative formats definitely offered us um, a realistic opportunity to reduce our carbon footprint, which is why we went to the paper paper bottle um, uh, route. Um, but we, you know, we still see glass as a part of our, of, of our, of our production, um, albeit, you know, we want to see the glass industry start to really drive down the weight of the, of the product, um, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, our, our, our philosophy is you need to reduce the carbon footprint of your industry, but it's not necessarily just one solution. Great, thank you. And that's a really good point is that there is a variety of uh, solutions and it's much like a la carte and what fits for each person may be a little bit different. Um, other certainly, people... certainly that's something, for, I mean, from the retailer perspective, that's something that we're, um, that we're kind of working through at the moment. And it's actually quite interesting to hear those kind of, that balance and that split because we're having a very, very similar internal conversation ourselves and with our members. Um, so whilst in terms of our kind of our product range, uh, I think about a third has got a sort of a drink window of up to 12 months so the rest of it is sort of premium wine with a longer term drink window the the volume is through that um you know through that part of the range and that's where we're really looking at other opportunities uh, to try alternate packaging formats and find out what is going to be most um sort of chime most with our with our customers and then realistically for for those those wines where there is that long drink window we i think we're sort of agreed that glass is obviously the the place where we're going to settle for the time being uh, albeit then trying to come up with some um, some agreement with our producers around what is a, a sensible weight. And certainly for us, right weight rather than light weight is, is, is key. 
Um, we send our wines out through the, the sort of the parcel carrier network to their homes. And we find that a move to two kind of severe light weighting has quite catastrophic impacts literally on the, um, uh, on, the, uh, on the deliveries that go out. So it's finding that sweet spot really where we're making a significant uh, reduction in carbon, but we're not having to waste resources by re-delivering broken bottles. Great, thank you. Um, and can I just add a little bit onto sort of looking at the right weight? It's a really good point when it comes to um, sort of lightweight or reducing the weight of a glass bottle is that sometimes you have to sacrifice the actual design of the bottle to maximise its strength. And some of the errors that may be done in the past is just trying to make the bottle the lightest weight possible rather than actually look at the whole glass bottle. Can we actually modify the design in some way? And sometimes the design of modifications are quite slight. It's a slight curvature, slight radius, and that can drop the weight significantly. And also it allows the glass distribution to be far better and therefore achieve a lot better strength. So there are options to get that weight down. And then when it comes to actually looking at the actual carbon from glass production, um, not just in the UK, but globally, all glass manufacturers are striving towards sort of net zero production. And making glass reducing carbon is possible. And switching from fossil fuels to electricity generated by renewable electricity is possible. The challenge is, the supply of that amount of energy, the infrastructures, and also the cost of that energy as well. Over time, that balance will change. So fossil fuels will probably become more expensive and renewable electricity will become low, um, cheaper. Therefore, that conversion to reducing carbon will accelerate. And I'm quite confident it is possible to produce a net zero bottle. And even in the UK, there were some trials done by a, a glass manufacturer who used biofuels derived from waste materials and 100% recycled content to get an extremely low carbon um, bottle onto the market. And that bottle was taken up by many brands and actually went into the market and was perfectly fit for purpose. So it is achievable. It is really working as a, a supply chain together rather than working remotely on these issues. Absolutely. Um, are there comments around the table? Yes, I wanted to... Um, to rescue one of the things you said also Trina um, to add to what everyone's talking about there are really important points around light weighting or right weighting right um, uh, the glass bottles but also it's very important to take into consideration as well um, the recycling culture as we can call it in in the consuming country this, depending on if you're selling locally or exporting um, here in Chile, as well as it's, it's happening in Canada, as you said, in BC, um, glass is also the most recycled uh, material in a post-consumer situation. So um, to, I don't know, to demonize glass is definitely not, not the way um, to go. It's um, also, as, as, as Carrie said, um, it's a very good material to, to age glass. Um, but we definitely have to keep, and we as BSPT, we're working with our glass suppliers, um, keep working in innovation, um, in making lighter bottles um, that that keep the um, the technical the technical um, forget the word, but um, cap capabilities that a regular bottle has. Okay, yeah, Trina, I'm, I'm happy to add my perspective. You know, I, I probably should have said it with a 
global audience. Um, Waitrose is a, is a you know, as a smaller major multiple retailer in the UK, we probably have a premium consumer who's very interested in ethics, sustainability, quality. Um, so <clears throat> issues around the environment um, and issues like this, we've got a highly engaged uh, consumer base. So from that point of view, um, essentially, you know, we're, we're talking to um, a very receptive audience. Um, and I think it would echo what Simon and, and Nick and Kerry have all said, really, it's, it's about a mix of solutions. It's not really a binary thing about, you know, enforcing and dictating a certain size and weight. Um, I think those solutions, as Nick said, will come from some technological solutions around how do we make um, the materials better? Um, and then, you know, how do we change the mix in the consumer's mind around using glass for certain occasions, bag and box for other occasions, cans for other occasions? And I think we're pushing on an open door there because some of those alternative formats have a really good fit with the consumer occasion and need. Um, so we can kind of, you know, sort of um, both needs at the same time to the environment and to the consumer needs. So in those opportunities where there is an open door, and I think a highly receptive consumer has got an occasion that fits with those lower um, impact uh, materials. I think that's where we should start. Um, and through that conversation, then we can introduce other concepts like, look, we've made this glass using bio uh, fuels, um, it's lighter and so on and so on. But I think, you know, I think what everyone is really saying is it's going to be a mixed approach. Um, but certainly I would love the consumer to walk into a store or for someone opening the box and for them to feel a material difference. I kind of think we need the consumer to really see and feel a material difference in front of them so they can really get, um, you know, that we're, you know, that we are progressing, we are doing things. So stuff like the plastic bag was a great one. You know, it, um, it was a material change from, from one day to the next that really got the consumer to, to pay attention. So I don't know what that material change is for us, um, but, you know, I, I think um, that would be really helpful um, at the same time. Absolutely. And so when, oh, sure, go ahead, Carrie. I mean, I would just like to say that um, the alternative formats are definitely coming from behind in terms of the wine industry because um, glass has been the dominant force um, and it is associated with quality in terms of wine, etc. Now, now, that's not necessarily absolutely true in the sense that alternative that. Um, you can only get good wine in a glass bottle. And there was a time when, you know, the heavier the bottle was, the, the, there was this perception that the more expensive you could sell the wine for, the better the wine was, et cetera, et cetera, which we know is a myth. Um, so, I mean, I think as wine producers and and, 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 and what we're trying to do at Cantina Gotcha is to say, is to actually educate the consumer that actually good wine can come out of alternative formats. Um, so we, you know, that is part of our drive. It's, it, it's about the consumer understanding that there are alternatives out there. And the other question, you know, for, 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 for the, um, the glass industry that I have, I mean, you know, in many parts of the world, you put out your glass for recycling. So the consumer automatically assumes whether correctly or incorrectly, that glass is recycled because you're putting it out in the recycle. Now, we don't know whether that glass is put into landfill, um, used as aggregate and roads, and how many of the actual glass bottles that we actually then buy again, how many of those are actually made from, from, from glass that has been, has been um, melted down and, and, and remade. 
Um, so there's all these sort of things in the glass in the glass industry, which um, you know, I mean, I think the glass industry has done a pretty good job in terms of of, of of convincing consumers that it's all it's all recycled, but that's not necessarily the case. So, I mean, I, I think I have a question um, for Nick to say, you know, of the glass bottles, say, for example, in the UK, if that's where your expertise lies, how many of the glass bottles that are in our on our shelves today are actually made from glass that has been recycled? Um, and how much glass is actually recycled in general? Okay, I can answer that question. Well, first of all, just glass is totally recyclable. So um, a, a glass bottle can be made into a glass bottles time and time and time again. It will never um, decrease in quality. Also, it's a single material, so it is, you don't need any barrier material. So many of the other alternative packaging formats, you will have maybe a, a paper outer, a plastic inner, um, and they are quite difficult to recycle because so they have to be separated. But with glass, there's no need to separate anything out. Now, when we come to recycling, um, we're looking at recycled content in the UK and all across Europe. It's not uncommon for a green bottle to be 80 to 90 percent recycled content. That's not uncommon at all. The challenge in some countries, and I'll just take the challenge in the UK, is that we have a lot more green glass in the waste stream. So we can get very high recycled content of green glass very easily. It's the other colours, sort of brown and clear, where there's less in the actual waste stream. So the recycled content can't be as much. And the reason for that is the UK actually imports a lot of wine and a lot of beer in green glass and exports a lot of spirit in clear glass. So we have this imbalance in the actual waste stream. But of all the, all the glass that's actually recycled in the UK, there's, there's actually recycling targets where 72% of all recycled glass has to go back into what we call remelt to make more bottles and jars. And year on year, the glass <laughs> industry has achieved that. Aggregate does play a part. And at the end of the day, aggregate is a form of recycling. It's, a re it's being reused for something else. It's not ideal, but there are instances where it's not viable or the quality has been deteriorated by the way it's been collected or processing, where it can go back into aggregate. Aggregate tends to be a small part in in UK and across the whole of Europe where remelt is a, the main um, source of recycling. Now with glass, we do find that the consumer are very engaged in recycling glass. It's been around for many, many years. It's probably one of the very first packaging materials to be recycled. And therefore we have things like bottle banks and people associate with that. So to get the message to recycle glass isn't much of a challenge because it you can actually just put your cap on your bottle, put it back into a recycling bin, whether that's a bring site or at home, and it can all be recycled. Even the metal cap on top or the label, that can all be recovered and um, removed. So as, as a product, it's totally recyclable. Great. Thank you, Nick. We have one question in the chat. And the question is, to what extent are supply chain issues impacting the availability of more environmentally friendly glass bottles? And so well, I know my chain in, in paper bottles is, is certainly a, a big factor for us because um, we need more producers of paper bottle uh, distributed across um, Europe and the world because it doesn't make sense to have uh, a bottle manufactured in one place and you ship it half around, halfway around the world to get it filled. So um, certainly um, from our perspective, we have to reduce the distance between where the, the place of manufacture and our filling um, is very important to us. Great, thank you. Um, Go ahead, Amina. Yeah. 
Yes, uh, no, that, I think that's a great question in the chat. Um, in our case, I would say, given that lighter weight bottles, uh, which is something we're talking about right now, right? Um, need less raw material, actually migrating towards lighter bottles in this moment um, is actually very, very smart in terms of, uh, of the um, our supply chain strategy. And that's something we've been talking about with our uh, glass suppliers as well. Yeah, great. Thank you. Another question came in about... Um... Is it really better for the environment to ship lightweight bottle from Australia to the US or the EU, EU than ship a normal weight or a slightly heavier bottle within the EU? So for example, between Germany and Denmark or from Germany to Sweden? And it's a good question because when we're looking at that bottle, we can lightweight that bottle, but part of the um, discussion about how is that the amount of emissions that is created from that bottle is also looking at how far is that bottle going and how is it transported? Is it going by boat? Is it going by truck? And all of those pieces. And so what is people's feeling about um, a normal weight bottle, but within a smaller geographical area? I mean, I don't, I don't have a view on which is which is better or worse, but you're really highlighting, and as did Nick before, some of the complexities around this that we as professionals are, are trying to work through. And so the challenge then is how do we expect consumers to actually make reasoned judgments based around some of this? Because the answers are so hard to find. And I mean, we're doing some work at the moment around looking at alternate package, you know, packaging formats and so on. Um, trying to work through the full life cycle analysis from where the, the, the packaging is currently made to where we would have to bottle and so on. And it's just so complicated. And really, we've, we feel that we need to end up with some nice clear metrics that we can provide consumers, which I think is why bottled weight is such a nice one for us all to kind of settle on. Um, but then behind that, you've obviously got recycled content, which is a <clears throat> perhaps another story and another opportunity to, um, to communicate with with customers and this whole um, supply chain. And it's it just takes an awful lot of work for us to work through, let alone to put into a simple language uh, for customers. Um, and I have to say, I, I find it quite challenging to get accurate information from the suppliers of some of these alternate packaging formats at the moment um, to, to allow an actual like-for-like uh, -like comparison. Um, so it, it's very difficult, and I think it is one of the challenges that we we have. We feel we have a, we have a responsibility to help our customers pick their way through this. Um, but I think we need to sort of get more people involved across the whole of the value chain to really should be sharing information and to settle on what the key metrics are, really. Great, thank you. Um, I have one um, question. So we talked about reducing, and so that's the bottle weight and reducing the bottle weight. We've talked about recyclability, but we haven't talked about the other R, the big R, which is reuse. And so reusing a bottle means that it doesn't need to be remanufactured. It doesn't require extra materials. It can go back into a circular economy and be used 15 to 20 times. And so does um, do people around the table feel that the industry is ready for reuse bottles? Well, from the glass industry point of view, making a returnable bottle is is easy to do. So that can be supplied. I think the challenge is logistics of um, the whole supply chain. When a, a bottle's come to it, or not its end of its life, but it's empty, ready to be filled. If it's got to travel great distances, it, it adds a lot of carbon. It currently needs to be a local um, system to, to really work. So you weigh bottles, make, filled 
consumed locally goes back to be refilled and kept in that sort of local community. I think if it starts to become national or international, it's, that's where you're adding a lot of um, carbon on transportation and logistics start to become quite complicated. Absolutely. Barry, do you want to do that? I'd agree. I mean, you know, we can make uh, reusable bottle work at a local level uh, for local sales, but you know, that's a, quite a small part of our, our market. But um, to make it on an international level, I, I can't quite see that. And it, obviously, you know, a reusable bottle is, of, is a lot heavier than your standard bottle so that it can withstand, you know, a, the, a lifetime of use. Um, but, you know, one of the, the points that I'd like to make is that transportation cost. I mean, I think as we, as we move away from glass to other alternative formats as part of the mix, some of the pricing paradigms and the way that we look at things in the industry have to change. So, for example, if I ship a, a, a pallet, a Euro pallet for 600 bottles across Europe, which is normally truck freight, um, but not with an average weight, bo a, a bottle, it would weigh sort of just under a thousand kilograms, maybe 950 to 980 kilograms. If I ship a Euro pallet of paper bottles, it weighs a third less than that. So it only weighs 560 kgs. And the, we don't get any pricing reduction in terms of freight, yet we know that the carbon impact of lighter freight is quite significant. So there's a number of factors within our industry that we need to change at the same time as we, as we move to a different mix. Absolutely, certainly is a complex problem. I'm gonna ask Barry if he has anything to add to this one. Oh, on the reusable bottle trainer or? Yeah, or anything that was on the table, yeah, that we um, talked about. No, I was just kind of nodding at uh, Nick with a reusable. I mean, it's, I think it's a great idea. And again, it's one of those things that consumers, I think, like the idea of. Um, in terms of our side, delivering that solution is very, very difficult. Um, and I agree with Nick. I think we need to be done at a local level. Um, yeah, so the logistical stuff is tricky, but I think it's a, it's a really lovely idea that I think the consumers would get. Um, but I remember speaking to a few people about it and cleaning the bottles. And again, it gets into Simon says this complex, um, you know, calculation about what the actual footprint is, and it doesn't come out as beneficial as the consumer might imagine. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. it is an, an interesting solution. It is, and in a small um, geographical area, it works quite well. And yeah. The studies have shown that it reduces carbon emissions by quite a bit compared yeah. to single-use yeah. packaging, but definitely needs that small um, geographical area or you lose all of that in the transportation. Yeah. Another but, question um, is sorry, in the chat. Uh, Go ahead. So, Gina, I was just going to say the, the other interesting solution is that, you know, uh, uh, you know, as Simon talked about, the the transparency to consumers around what is the impact of you know a product move from Australia versus a product move from Italy, for example. So, you know, there are you know technology and solutions coming through that you know will be able to show the you know carbon footprint of a product. And if you know one one day we had all products um, you know using the same imagine um, template to achieve that number. Um, then they could start to cut through and leave it to people like us in the behind the scenes to do the hard work and calculations and just present them with the overall outcome in terms of the carbon uh, footprint. And then they can make informed decisions around the sustainability of production um, on top of that. So that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yes, thank you. Uh, there was one question in the chat. Are there any insights about alternative packaging solutions for sparkling wines? 
Um, I might as well keep going. <clears throat> so there's a couple of, you know, larger format kegs and things, you know, certainly in on-trade and even maybe in off-trade and large format um, might work. That's that's kind of one that springs to mind. I'm not sure if anybody else has seen alternatives as well. Um, I've seen some cans happening. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for individual formats. But yeah. they're not they're not like the perfect alternative for glass bottles and sparkling wines, since cans can't hold as much pressure as a bottle can. <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, uh, but um, but they're they're a good uh, alternative, yeah. given also that sparkling wine is not something you can open and keep open for a long time. So yeah, yeah. I think I that's. So it was an interesting uh, comment with cans in that it's it's the consumer expects to um, when they open it hear a fizz and that's one of the barriers with cans which you know I guess I hadn't even kind of consciously thought of but that's uh, that was an interesting one so from that point of view sparkling wines that do give you the fizz in the can kind of align with what the consumer expects when they open that. Mm -hmm. Another consideration with um, sparkling wines. As I mentioned earlier, um, glass is a permanent barrier. Some some um, packaging materials will allow the CO2 to actually permeate through it and escape. So it won't hold its carbonation level for long, but glass doesn't have that problem. Another question about alternative packaging. Do you see alternative packaging more suitable for those new types of, of wines than regular wines? For example, the growth of low and no alcohol wines. Is there a possible synergistic effect there? Um, so I'll, I'll grab that one. Um, yeah, again, interesting. So certainly that category is free from the Appalachian restriction is one kind of um, opportunity that springs to mind. Um, you know, so that's 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 a great um, um, option for low and no. Really, is is some of the alternatives. It was actually quite interesting at the London Wine Fair um, the other week just to actually see the packaging that had been selected for some of the low and no products that were on display. And actually some of them were taking the alternative view and, and bottling in quite heavy glass. So some of us, the, um, the sparkling uh, tea-based drinks, for example, were in very kind of classy champagne-esque style packaging, obviously to help that, uh, that category break through. So uh, I'd agree, I think there is an opportunity because there is a lot more freedom there, but um, I'm sure some of those producers have got their own um, their own ideas around the, the marketing and the growth of their particular brands. And challenges as well. So there's a question for Nick. How much more weight in a reusable glass bottle compared to a one-way? Well, if you're talking about wine bottles, I'll struggle to answer that question because there's, as far as I'm aware, there's not uh, any returnable wine bottles on the market, so I couldn't really say what the weight is. But um, if you look at a returnable system, say Germany is a fantastic example where a majority of the beers are actually in a returnable bottle. The, the bottle has to be over-engineered because it has to survive 30, 40, 50 trips, if not more. So the, the weight can be significant. It can be 20, 30% more. But there's a possibility with a slight redesign of the bottle to actually limit how much that weight increase goes up by. So really, it's look at the bottle design. Can we actually design it to be a returnable bottle? Uh, we couldn't just use standard wine bottles to be returnable. They would need to be redesigned. So there would be a, a weight increase, but I think it could be minimised. 
Yeah, and I think that there are some solutions on the market around the globe and uh, Spain and sustainable wine solutions as well. Yeah. And I believe that they're using bottles in their found form yeah. and they haven't been um, re-engineered as much. But the lighter bottle, I think, also is a concern as well as it, will it withstand those 30, 40 washings is yeah. part of that issue, right? Um, uh, moving on to... Uh, we talked about, you know, the different types of alternative packaging. We've talked about the three R's. We've talked about some of the challenges with bottles and some of those metrics and being able to have a common language. And so what are some things that people think that we could do to support change either locally or nationally or regionally or globally in order to move folks towards a, a common way of um, talking about the packaging, but as well providing solutions? Uh, we, what we'd like to see is a, a, a common measure on the product in the same way as some of the other food products that you have in, um, in Europe, where you have to have certain amount of information. I mean, I don't want to over-bureaucratize the, the process, but I mean, if consumers are to make informed decisions about what they want to buy, we need a common measurement um, of, you know, what is actually the carbon footprint um, of this particular product, if that's the measure we decide is is the, the is the best measure um, and the one that the, the consumer can understand, I mean, a lot of people, including ourselves, we measure the carbon footprint of our products. But I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced. Maybe I'm wrong um, that there is a common measure out there. So people come up with all sorts of different um, answers on the back of their their packages, and I look at some of them and I go, well. I find that one difficult to believe or I find that one a bit too high, that one's too low. So from our perspective, I think if we are going to talk about sustainability um, and we're going to do, talk about sustainability in terms of packaging, we have to have a common measure, measurement in the industry. And then that really goes through the whole thing. It's not just the individual um, uh, unit like the bottle or the paper bottle or the can. It's how that is shipped around the world, what sort of packaging is put around it, because the amount of packaging that is put around pallets these days is still ridiculous. Um, so, you know, it needs to go down, right down from the, the you know, the full cycle of, of the actual product so that, uh, that consumers can make informed decisions on a level playing field. And I totally agree with that. I think you see many life cycle analysis out there that have very different what you call boundary conditions. What do you actually include? Now, if you take glass manufacture, it's quite easy. You've got raw materials coming in and the finished bottle going out. But many other packaging materials are multi-material, bits are made elsewhere. So you've got things like oil extraction, oil refining to make the plastic pellets and the plastic preforms. They're all made in different places. And sometimes that, that whole supply chain gets missed. So it's never a, a fair and um, level playing field on a full assessment. So I, I fully support having a, a totally independent assessment that has the same criteria for whatever packaging material it is that incorporates everything from the actual raw material extraction, the energy extraction, all the way to um, well reuse and recycling to do the whole supply chain. And I think, again, the benefits of recycling are sometimes lost in life cycle analysis as well. So I think that is something that's definitely needed. Absolutely, very good point. Yes, um, no, I totally agree with everyone um, around what, what everyone's saying. Uh, also, I would add that uh, when I want to, to tell you uh, briefly, when we at VSPT 
started thinking uh, about creating a nickel design and circular economy policy, um, we didn't know where to start. We're the first um, wine company here in Chile to have one. Uh, what do we talk about? Do we talk about weight? Do we talk about multi-material? Uh, do we talk about alternative packaging? Um, and uh, we ended up talking about a little bit of everything. We um, organized our ideas in, in three main uh, principles. One is reducing, and that's basically weight. The other is redesign, um, and that it's when we take into consideration um, that all of our portfolio wanted to be recyclable or compostable. Um, and also what I wanted to add here is that we realized that maybe for the first time in our, our whole history regarding sustainability, we had to take into consideration the, um, the consumer's action. So we have now a consumer that makes the final decision when it comes to uh, managing our, our uh, waste, which is not something we had handled before when we talk about um, industrial waste. So and, and that's when we came up with the idea of adding recycling instructions in all of our packaging, whether it is uh, on packaging or via QR, um, QR code. So what I'm trying to say is we need to also take into account the local consumer, whether that's inside your, your country or outside your country. You need to take into account the regulatory context is said material recycled in your country? Because I can say plastic number, I'm going to say nine, just to not name any plastic, um, is recyclable in Chile, but it's not recyclable like outside. So what am I communicating? So I think it's very important for, for, for us to actually have these conversations we're having today um, and get to know what's going on in the mind of our consumers as well. Um, what's going on in the mind of the people making the regulations? Are they moving towards some ERP law system or um, are they putting their money in reusable uh, glass bottles? So I think that's very important. Um, keeping in mind, of course, the life cycle analysis, uh, at least a mindset, having that uh, in our minds. Having that as a framework for basing some of our decisions. Some of the question is, we talked about a lot of alternative packaging and some of the challenges with that. And so bringing it back to our topic of discussion, is the key a standard size weight and bottle? And so that there is a selection of standard bottles that are available on the global market that are of certain weight and size and standard that would move people uh, more closely towards the goal of sustainability. I, I think that's a bit of a sort of nuclear option. Um, but what I think is quite interesting or would be quite interesting is if more um, wine growing regions, Appalachian, take a leaf out of the uh, Cru Bourgeois um, initiative around maximum bottle weights, perhaps. And so it would be quite interesting, I think, to see whether other more traditional regions in Europe or elsewhere would, would follow suit and, and require a maximum bottle weight, for example, uh, for their wines from, say, Rioja or Chateauneuf-du-Pape or whatever it may be. Um, I think that'd be quite an interesting one. Leave the design 
up to the, the individuals to do as do as they wish, but um, to specify a maximum as a starting point, I think that'd be quite interesting. I mean, I we I mean, I, I think I I agree with that. I mean, the design, I I think you have to leave to an individual. I know that the wine bottle shape is not necessarily the most efficient from a packing perspective, but it is an established shape, and you know, um, I think there are other things to concentrate on other than the shape. Um, I, I don't know about other, other regions, but I do know that in Italy, um, when we buy glass bottles, the choice of anything under 500 grams is maybe two bottles. Um, whereas if you start to move to between 500 and 800 grams, the choice of bottles is huge. So, um, you know, we just need... <clears throat> and I mean, again, what's the right weight? I mean... Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, that maybe that's a question um, for Nick. What is actually the right weight um, um, from a transportation point of view and life being able to 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 um, you know stay whole? Um, but we certainly need more choice of the right weight of bottles. And for whatever reason, certainly here in Italy, the message definitely has not got through to glass manufacturers to give us more choice. I mean, that that is that is that is true. Okay. Uh, my, my comment, first of all, I was a little surprised that that um, quote is only a few bottles below 500 because um, it's not becoming uncommon now to find a wine bottle around 400, five, sorry, about 400, 450 grams. That's quite common in the UK, but I can't speak for Italy. But, uh, but, but to make a bottle of around 400 to 450 to be fit for purpose is relatively easy to do. And most manufacturers can do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, we use a bottle that's, a, when we do use glass, we use a bottle just under 400 grams. But I'm just, the point that I was making is the number of shapes and sizes and the number of choice that you have at that lower end is so much smaller than at the higher end. So, yeah. And, and you do limit yourself on things like if you want embossing or you want a very sharp um, neck profile, that will add some weight to it. So there's some sacrifices to get to those lower weights. Yes, yes, I want to um, forget the word, <laughs> support what Nick just said. Like, uh, we've been working on maybe designing an even lighter option to our lightest bottle. And um, there is a loss on, on design. So we're, um, of course, we're not the, the glass producers. So we're working on maybe... Um, maybe improving that design or just maybe the consumer doesn't care. So I think that's what I'm trying to say here, trying to add to a conversation. Um, the consumer is, um, is complicated. Um, we sell a lot to China, for example. China is a country that is not looking to buy lightweight bottles. It's actually looking to buy uh, uh, heaviest bottles. So what we're doing is uh, we actually conducted consumer research study and we asked the consumer in different countries what they were looking for. And they actually didn't even like um, care if the bottle was light or not. They were pretty much parity when we communicated, this is a lightweight bottle, this is not a lightweight bottle. So I think as, a, as an industry, as, um, as the, the supply, not the demand, we need to make the change. Um, not expect 
for people to demand light bottles. The consumer doesn't, it's not going to do that. Um, it's, it's still asking for heavy bottles um, because they still believe uh, um, a more premium wine is bottled in a heavy uh, packaging. Well, that, might be true. that might be true for China, but I, I would disagree with you in Europe and America. I think the consumer in, in Europe and in America understands the impact, is increasingly aware of the impact of, 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 of heavyweight glass. Um, and I think that that change is, that transition has started to happen. And I think, you know, it, I mean, the point of these discussions and setting standards um, and talking about this and, and having, you know, organizations like SWR is to actually start that journey of education and that process to, so that consumers understand there are alternatives, there are implications for your purchase. And the only way that a consumer could actually see that is if we have some sort of common measurement on a bottle which says to the consumer, hey, by the way, if you buy this bottle, this is your impact. If you buy that bottle, this is your impact. And, you know, I, you know it's a journey. We need to start educating people, is my view. Mm -hmm. Totally. Absolutely. There was one question in the chat about, does anyone have any experience with Tetra Packs? Uh, they mentioned a fully compostable uh, Tetra Pack. Um, I've, se I've seen a little bit of that. My only comment would be there was one bottling site in the UK that invested quite heavily in Tetra Pak, and I think the consumer um, essentially just wasn't keen. You know, it felt too much like a commodity. Um, so I think they struggled as a format um, with that, you know, obviously free will of the, of the consumer in a, in a market like the UK without, you know, something like the system will log it, who can, who can take, you know, a much stronger position given the, the singular nature of, of, the, um, of the selling channels in, in Sweden. Great. And so we have just a few minutes left to keep everyone on time and give their break. And so what I'd like to do is a roundtable with uh, last thoughts from everyone. I'd like to thank everyone for bringing their brilliant minds to the table and supplying so much great information for people. And I think it's going to be very helpful for the discussion and moving it forward. And so I will start again as I started at the beginning. Amina, last thought? Uh, thank you, Trina. Um, I think my last thought is that um, we need to keep having these um, moments of interaction within different, um, uh, I mean, within the industry from different points of view. Um, this is not an easy subject. This is not uh, something we can control in our vineyard or in our plant or in our uh, bottling lines. Um, so I think it's, um, it's key to have collaboration between different parts of the value chain. Um, so, yeah. That's my, my last thought. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Amina. Barry? Um, look, I think taking tons of glass out of the, out of the, out of the consumer's hands is, is the right thing to do, and we'll certainly push that as a business, and, and I think it feels like many others will. Um, and the key stuff to achieve that, I think one of the points in the previous session was around data sharing. I think that's really important. Um, you know, that we allow everyone to access um, and be efficient with, you know, the, the data. Um, so that's super key for me. And, you know, I think as, as Kerry's made the point about transparency to the consumer, about the eventual outcome of, of all of that stuff and what it means to them in terms of carbon footprint. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's kind of a key feeling on, on the overall topic. Right, Kerry? 
Um, well, I think, you know, making changes, it's a journey. And, you know, I don't think there's one solution that fits all. Um, I think we need to accept that. Um, but I think education and information uh, will help consumers and actually regulatory bodies and governments make the right sort of choices. Um, and, and, and on the basis of that, you know, consumers can start to make informed choices as well. So, um, you know, as I say, you know, you, you're not you're not going to be able to resolve this overnight. Um, and um, but, you know, it's work like SWR, which are part of that process. So thank you. Thank you. Nick? Yeah, probably the comments already been made, but I think we do need to work together as a whole supply chain. Not one um, part is going to achieve decarbonisation, not just a glass interest on its own, but its, its, its suppliers, its customers, the whole supply chain. We need to work together. And finally, I've got to do this, but I've got to plug glass. Glass is a perfect packaging material for wine. No doubt about it. I'll leave it there. Uh, thank you, Nick. And Simon? Um, so I would say that... Um, Bodies like the SWR are invaluable. This obviously takes everybody across the value chain to work on a solution. Um, everyone's got a part to play. Um, certainly for us as retailers, I think we need to do more around informing our customers, allowing them to make educated choices, but also around clarity. And we've talked through the complexity ourselves. We need to, we need to come up with something that is simple for, for customers to make an informed choice, basically. But it, it is a, it, it's, a, it's going to be a journey, isn't it? It is, and uh, I think some really good uh, points of action for the future about that common language and standardization and metrics and all of those pieces and coming together to be able to share information and resources is, is where the seems like some of those next action steps are. I would like to thank everyone for being part of the discussion and listening in. It was uh, wonderful to listen to everyone and learn from you. So thanks for being here. Mm -hmm.